You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I'm going to be in 2 Samuel today, 2 Samuel chapter 10, if you guys have your Bibles and want to turn over there, um, you can do so. Um, but uh, thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, good to be here. And uh, good to preach. I just preached this message last week. Our, our pastor's out too. So I, I preached uh, at Bethel. So back-to-back weeks here for me in Second Samuel chapter 10. Um, so when's the last time you received bad advice? Most everybody's had some, some bad advice or counsel. Um, anything from bad investments, um, you know, bad recipe that you got you thought was going to be great. Um, maybe some advice on how to fix something. Uh, maybe some bad directions, but everybody's had some, some bad advice. Um, and one of my only memories of my grandpa uh, was do some, do some bad advice he'd given my dad. And my grandpa and great uncle, they were always known to raise some, some exotic animals. Um, they raised ostriches, to give you an example. Uh, I still don't know what reason they, they did so, but I can remember going and, and getting some rather large eggs from those ostriches. Um, one of the other things they raised were elk. And on one of our visits uh, to my grandpa, he insisted that my dad go. Uh, take us out to see the elk. And it had been raining and was kind of a, a muddy mess, but my grandpa was, he was convinced we'd get out there fine with no issues. And my dad was convinced just the opposite, uh, but grandpa had some sway and was able to uh, get him to go out. But needless to say, that, that advice grandpa had given was, was bad. Um, we got stuck, and it was really stuck. And my dad's usually the most level-headed guy uh, you'll meet, um, but he was not so level-headed that day, and that's why I can remember that, because he was not... Not very happy. Uh, we'd go get a tractor, get pulled out, and we did not get to see the elk that day. And that's kind of, um, we're going to see some bad, bad counsel here today. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, King David here's got an enemy, and, and he falls prey to this, this bad counsel. And it's, bad counsel is something that's always got to kind of be on our, our radar in our lives. Um, it's not something we can allow to creep in. Its effects are, are far-reaching. Um, and so... I think, do you guys have my slides up, or did you get the slides? If not, that's fine. No biggie. Um, so first, first point I had was wise counsel is vital. Um, I'm going to turn over to 2 Samuel 10. We're going to jump in. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 um, and kind of go from there. So first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verses 1 and 2. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. Um, so, so who were these Ammonites? Uh, we can trace them all the way back to Lot, um, Abraham's nephew, and, and God had instructed Israel to, to leave the Ammonites alone. Um, so don't touch them. Deuteronomy 2 tells us that. Deuteronomy 2.19 says, And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. So, told, stay, stay, stay away. Um, but we can see Israel and Ammon don't always see, see eye, and eye, eye to eye. And they, they clash every so often in the Old Testament. Uh, we've got Judges 11. Um, they kind of uh, raised war against Israel in the time of the Judges. Um, and then with King Saul. Uh, they, were, they were enemies of King Saul and, and fought several times. Um, turn back to 1 Samuel. Um, so it seems like all the Ammonites had to do to protect themselves was not come against Israel. Uh, and God would have protected them. But 
They don't do that. And this passage will demonstrate kind of their, their meddling character as a people. And, and David and the Ammonites must have had some, some peaceful interactions, though, um, before this passage. Um, you know, we can turn back to 1 Samuel 11, and, and it kind of gives us some insight of, of maybe why um, they were Nahash and, and um, Samuel, or, or Nahash and David were aligned. So 1 Samuel 11 tells us a little bit about that. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged uh, Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. And later on, Saul ends up defeating them, um, 1 Samuel 11, 11, And they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watched, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no, no two of them were left together. So Nahash, Saul, enemies. We know David and Saul didn't see eye to eye. So, so most likely, uh, Nahash and, and David struck a friendship. Um, or maybe not necessarily a friendship, but a common bond. Um, they were both against Saul. Um, Saul, of course, was pursuing David and and Saul and Nahash here were, were battling. So that's kind of where we pick up this narrative. Um, David wants to show compassion for, for Hanan, Nahash's son, who you know, they were most likely aligned with, and you know, they had some loyalty there, so he kind of wants to pay some respect um, after, after his father died. So let's continue on the passage, verses uh, 3 through 5. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, grown and they return. So Hanan here, he has no real reason to fear David. Sure, David was a, a king of war. He won many battles, but there was a loyalty there. Loyalty between David and the Ammonites, and, and Hanan should have had full knowledge of that. And, and we see a pattern here. You can look back one chapter, the chapter before is uh, about David and Mephibosheth. That's a mouthful. But, you know, that's, that's Jonathan's son. Jonathan was, of course, David's friend, uh, the son of Saul. So there's some, some loyalty we see. David was faithful to those who had supported him, and, and you know, as he rose to leadership, he, he humbly turned back and showed, showed some gratitude, and that's a good, good marker of a good leader. Um, and, you know, a wise leader is quick to thank those around him. Um, but we see a different leader here in Hanan. Um, you know, David, you know, we see battle-tested, grown through the years um, as he'd ran from Saul, and he waited a long time for that right before throne, and, and now we see him taking some, some good leadership. Um, but Hanan, just the opposite. You see a young leader, um, can't seem to stay out of the ditch. Um, you know, and young leaders like that often leave often swayed, they're prone to mistakes, and that's what we see here. Instead of accepting um, David's friendship, his comfort, Hanan falls prey to, to some pretty bad counsel. Um, you know, the, the princes of Ammon here, they kind of stir him up. Um, we'll kind of see kind of just exactly the effects they have on him, but, but they start kind of asking him, you know, they point, point these, these little assumptions to him. Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he's honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and overthrow it? Real pointed questions here. Um, and Hanan, not real wise, takes immediate action. He didn't vet his counsel. Uh, he didn't ask the men of, of David anything. Um, he immediately turns them away. He doesn't just turn them away. Um, he humiliates them in the process. You know, he could have just had them leave um, and maybe would have shown a little bit more wisdom in doing so. Um, but... Instead, he 
completely takes away their dignity. So he cuts their beards, um, stripping their, their manhood, their identity. Um, you know, in his culture, it wouldn't have been, been something. You know, a man, he wouldn't have shaved his beard. That was kind of his, his sense of, of manhood, wisdom, age, respect, all played into the having a big beard. Um, and then threw him out basically naked, cut it at the hips. No underwear in that day, so it would have been exposing. These men would have not, not been very happy in the way they were, they were thrown out. Um, you know, they would have went away ashamed and angry. And, and you know, doing this to, to these men wasn't reasoned out, wasn't thought out, and kind of shows um, some, some short-sightedness here um, of, of the leadership. And, and too often we, we fall into thinking like this. Uh, something happens to us and we me- immediately react. We strive for justice when we perceive we've been wrong and we don't really get a full picture of the, the situation that's going on. And we're, we're trying to protect ourselves with an outcome that we, we don't even know. Um, and, you know, I said, uh, you know, manage a, a grain facility. And I uh, used to do so in, in Texas with, with export. And, and so I make some, some right decisions, some wrong decisions, and then some, some very, very wrong decisions. Um, so we would load big uh, export boats in Texas, and I, I made some wrong decisions there. But... We loaded boats destined for, for all over the world, um, and, and each boat had its unique um, load instructions and different things that we would have to do to them. And, and probably the hardest boat I loaded was an Egyptian boat. They was some government tendered aid. It was really weird stuff, uh, some wheat. Um, and they would send a delegation to watch us load the grain, and that was a huge hassle. And as the rookie on the team, I got to go babysit this uh, Egyptian delegation. And they weren't as friendly as you might expect. Um, you know. And part of it was probably just because we were communicating through interpreter the whole time. Um, you know, there's a lot, you know, communication just was not the best between the two of us through the interpreter. And nightly, they would challenge our loading procedures, how we were doing things, the grain we were loading. Um, so before each night, I'd take them out to the boat. We'd inspect holds and, and look for cleanliness and everything they wanted to see. And one evening on the vessel, I was talking to the first mate, and he told me they had a hold in ballast. So they ballast these boats. They keep them down in the water with this big... Lots of water in the hold. Uh, they got big pumps to pump it, keep it down as they travel empty, and they'll pump it back out. And I'd never seen one ballast. Uh, so I told the first mate, hey, can you open this and let me see it? Uh, talked to you know, some of the vessel agents before going out. They hadn't seen one either. They wanted to see it themselves. And I kind of thought it might be an issue, but they said, go, go for it. Uh, we all want to see it. You know. And so got them to open everything, and, and as, as the doors were going open, I kind of realized I had made a, a short-sighted mistake. Um, the doors were going open, and I realized the Egyptians were keenly watching what I was, what I was doing and, and that we were opening the, the holds. Um, as soon as the holds were open, uh, the Egyptians who knew no English were all of a sudden all shouting fish. Um, and I knew at that moment um, that I had made that, that rash mistake. Um, uh, they may not have translated it well, but they were worried about their grain going into that water. Um, and I'm still to this day, I don't think ballast translates to Egyptian because we fought them for hours that night about how a hold is ballast and that we would pump it out, clean it, dry it, and everything else. Um, so we lost a night of loading due to that. And if I had thought, stopped to think for one second about all the hassles we had already had, I wouldn't have even opened that hold. Uh, but you know, just out of some, being a rookie and wanting to see it, I opened it and, and we, you know, we lost a night of loading. And that's what we see here with Hannon. He makes a bad decision that's not thought out in the least. He throws these men out, you know, ashamed and, and didn't think what he was truly doing. You know, he thought he was doing good. He thought he was protecting his people. Remember, his, his advisors were telling him, hey, they're just going to come and overtake you. 
And you got to remember, he's still likely grieving his father dying and still grasping even what it took to run his kingdom. Uh, you know, not an enviable position and, and not one that he should have been making quick decisions in. Uh, Proverbs 19.2 tells us, Desire without knowledge is not good. Whoever makes feet, haste with his feet misses his way. So, and here, wants to practice the uh, kingdom, makes haste, poor decision, misses his way. Um, and, you know, we need counsel, uh, but we need to be careful who we go to. Um, those we allow to have that, that position of counsel in our lives need to be vetted and trusted. You know, even the wise counsel should be thought to ensure that it is sound. You know, and, and those that we allow to have that position, they, they need to have a godly mindset. Just because someone is a great friend, a family member, that may not mean they're the best counselor. Um, you know, that can't be stressed enough. You know, who we let advise us plays a, a large chunk into to our own spiritual growth. A wise pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, and so on, that can be a, a springboard uh, for us to healthily grow as a, as a Christian. And they can kind of help us reason through some of those hard life decisions. You know, we should each look for those relationships with wise Christian friends and others that can help us grow. And counsel inside the confines of a church that's of biblical design. Uh, and the Bible points us towards wise counsel. So Proverbs 24, 5, and 6. A wise man full of strength and uh, a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war. And in the abundance of counselors there is victory. So uh, Pastor Kyle, that's our pastor up there in Ord. Noel, who you'll meet next week, he's Filipino. Um, you never think of an Ohioan, a Texan, and a Filipino all, all meeting in Ord. But that's where we're at. And bi-weekly, we, we meet to go through sermons. Um, we're, you know, we listen to other sermons. We, we're reading a book together now. Um, and we, we share our thoughts, our struggles, our successes together. You know, that's a time where we can read, uh, receive insight and wisdom. It's a midweek refresher for us. Um, and, you know, I feel free to you know, request help when needed and account, can count on my brothers in Christ to, to pray for me. They offer me sound counsel. And we each need time like that in our lives, you know, whether it's small groups or, or anything like that. It's a good time for us to kind of get some of that, that counsel that we need. And so maybe wondering how do you, how do you discern that wise counsel? Um, again, consider the source. Um, you know, primarily if the counsel is coming from, from biblical backing, um, you know, that can be trusted. Um, have to be careful, you know, that that uh, Bible is being used in context. Um, but, you know, the advice that comes, you know, through biblical backing, that can be trusted. And that should be prioritized in our lives. And uh, we should be keen on counseling others. Same thing. You know, whether we're getting counsel or counseling, we should be pointing them back to Scripture. And again, that's biblical. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete for every good work. So what's that verse telling us? Well, the scriptures should be the basis of our lives. You know, it's how we prepare to live as Christians. We, you know, we teach it, you know, we use it to guide others. Um, you know, we even see it here as training. Think of physical training. We're kind of here around weights and everything else. You know, it's hard work. Uh, it's not something you just sit and say, I'm going to be fit. You can't just think it. you got to... You know, you gotta actually have a plan, and you gotta, you gotta, you know, sometimes pump, pump some iron. You gotta, you know, build that muscle. Um, that's how we need to approach these scriptures. We need to use it and get it in our lives. Uh, you know, it's here for counsel. Um, so that's the intended purpose. But Hannah's counsel, again, just the opposite. His counsel is founded on assumptions um, rather than fact. And you're gonna face this in life as well. 
Uh, there are many advice givers that are easily mistaken for counsel. And unfortunately, those types of people are, are all too often the first to throw in their two cents. Uh, they'll have partial knowledge of situations and think they know the answer. Um, and they will speak on things where they, they lack wisdom. And we've got to deter that. We've got to kind of keep that away from our lives. Um, because we see what happens there is it quickly spirals out of control. And, and Job is a, a perfect kind of picture of, of kind of some bad counsel. And, and Job stays the course, and his, his friends don't. So you kind of remember the, the story of Job. Uh, Job facing you know, lots of hardship. Um, the devil came against him. God said, you know, you can just about do everything. Don't touch his life. But you can just do about everything. And his, his friends were, were, had some really bad counsel. Um, his friends here, um, chapter 4 in Job, uh, verses 7 and 8, his friends tell him, remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. His friends were determined that Job had made a mistake. Um, he was living in sin and, and just really needed to come to confession. Um, you know, friends had partial knowledge of that situation, saw that Job was suffering and said, you know, you just got something in your life, you got to clean it up. Um, they didn't know the full, full knowledge of that situation, and, and they gave Job some really bad advice. Um, let's not do the same. Uh, let's make sure that we, we give you know, wise counsel when we're asked to give it. You know, as we're seeking counsel, that we we, pair, we are carefully considering who's giving that uh, counsel, and and that we're we're not just falling prey to that bad counsel. So it leads me to my second point: we need a battle plan to to win. So bad counsel was just the the start of Hanan's downfall. You know, his 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 mistakes kind of start falling like dominoes now, one after another. Starts with bad counsel, knee jerks reacts, and and now he's preparing for for war. Um, you know, he had no guard against that bad counsel, and, and now the stage is it's set. You know, he's going to go to war against Israel. And so let's continue on, 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. Um, so when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, um, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Betharab and the Syrians of Zob, uh, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, and the Atab, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, um, he sent Job, Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zob and of Rahab and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the open country. So you get this picture, uh, this picture. The Ammonites were a, a stench to David. What a, a vivid way to, to kind of show the state of their relationships. And, you know, what do you do with something that constantly stinks? You just let it sit there and, and reek? No, you fix it. We had some. Oh, we had a lot of rains here in the last couple of weeks and, and got some water in our, our office at work. Um, and so, you know, you get that little musty smell. It really starts to, starts to sit, and the longer you let those carpets sit uh, without cleaning them or doing anything or removing them, they smell. So do we just sit there and say, oh, it smells musty, and, and just let it sit? No, we started removing the carpet that needed removed, cleaned up what needed cleaned, and, and we just don't let it sit. And that's what David does the same here with the Ammonites. They're a stench, and he's determined to, to fix that. And, and quickly, you get a sense of the pickle that the Ammonites were in. And you can kind of tell by their actions. So They didn't have the forces alone to take on Israel and David. So here we are going out to whoever and would come and hiring them. Um, and so we got a force of 33,000 here hired along with whatever Ammonite force that they had. Um, so kind of put together this impressive army. Um, and, and they were set up for a, a battle where they could attack the Israelites on, 
on two different sides. Um, and sin and temptation, they're going to come against us like this. Um, we get multiple temptations. They fight us on multiple different fronts. And Satan knows it's easier to succeed when we're overwhelmed on all sides. Um, so whether that's the, the busyness of life or multiple problems springing up all at the same time, um, you know, it, it can be a struggle. And we may have success on one front and may lose on another if we're not careful. Um, and that's why it's so important to go into battle with a, a good plan. And, you know, if we do not have a good plan against sin uh, and our enemies, we're going to surely lose. Um, so let's continue on in the passage here. Um, read on in verse 9. When Joab saw the battle was set against him, both in the front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of, the, of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. So, first thing we see him do here, gets, a, gets an idea of what he's facing, how they're set up and positioned. Um, you know, got, got people in the back and the front, so two different fronts here. And Joab took lead, and um, you know, he's got himself and his brother, and he decides they're going to divide and conquer. Uh, half of his forces is going to go with his brother, half him, um, and, and wants to set up to be able to fight that, that battle. Um, you know, they had the, the humble attitude that you know, in the heat of battle, you know, they may need each other. Um, you know, it was not a war that they could just individually fight and win. Um, you know, kind of had to, to take this force and divide and conquer, and, and you, know, you know, that wasn't just enough. You know, they, they have to come together. Um, verse 11, he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. That's the, the attitude that we get from them. You know, saying, you know, we're going to fight these two fronts, but even that may not be enough. One of us might stumble, um, or we're going to need support. Um, it kind of goes back to uh, number one. They, they had a plan, and, and, you know, sometimes in our lives, you know, when we need support, it can come in the form of counsel. Um, you know, we're going to need somebody else to fall back on. Here we see Joab and his brother. If one falls, he's going to come rush and help the other. Um, and, and they discussed about this beforehand. This wasn't a, we're in the heat of battle, nope, now let's divide and conquer. You know, they discussed about beforehand, you know, they had some accountability. You know, Joab and Abishai, they were count, accountable to each other, watching each other's back. And they were going to aid each other when needed. Um, they knew how to proceed if one another stumbled. And that was the expectation, their, their plan. Um, they would provide that indeed assistance in the heat of battle. Um, you know, and sometimes we need to set up with godly counselors and counselors in the same way. You know, we need some accountability. When we stumble, that counselor can come into our lives and support us when that, that life gets rough. You know, and, and same just for, for you know those Christians around us. You know, the approach here that Joab and Abishai take that's that's the one we need to be taking. Well, we see fellow uh, you know, uh, followers of Christ, and we see them struggling with things, and we need to rush to their aid. We shouldn't just sit around and watch and fight our own battle. You know, when their burdens are heavy, we can be the support that they can fall back on. You know, we should be in prayer for those struggling, and more so than just prayer, you know, where we, shan where we can, we should take action. So whether that's simple words of encouragement, um, you know, a loving embrace, an offer to help them in the uh, midst of whatever struggle, that can go a long way in helping support someone, keep them, keep them on their feet. You know, and I like the image in, in Exodus we get of Moses. Uh, so in Exodus 17, you know, they're fighting against uh, Amalek, and, and to win, Moses had to keep his arms raised. You might memorize, you might remember that Bible story. He had to keep his arms raised to, to win that battle. Every time he put his arms down, they'd start to lose, raise arms back up, they win. Um, and so Exodus 17:12. but Moses' hands grew weary, 
So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, so that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. No, that's the image of support that we get in the Bible. Holding each other's hands up, keeping each other raised so that we can, we can win that battle uh, and can, can come alongside our fellow Christians. And again, this is very biblical. Galatians 6.2, over the New Testament. You know, same, same image we get. Um, tells us, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible is clear. You know, we need to be helping those around us. And you know, we see that you know, as a church. You know, we need to come, come together. You know, with Bethel, we have kind of an email blast when somebody needs something. So, you know, whether it's somebody, you know, just had a baby or, you know, with surgery, you know, we'll provide them meals. Um, you know, snowy out, you know, have an email out to help the elderly. You know, people needing to get out, we'll go shovel snow. Um, you know, we have a lot of people who move around town, stuff like that. You know, email blast goes out, we'll go help them move. You know, that's the kind of stuff we need to continue looking to help, um, you know, our fellow members of the church body. And, you know, that's what we should be striving to do. You know, another thing here that sticks out about Job's plan is that, you know, originally they were fighting on, on different fronts. They each had their, their primary area to go out on the offensive. You know, as Christians and churches, we should, we should take this multifaceted approach. You know, each Christian has different talents and gifts from God, and we, you know, we should look to capitalize on those gifts in our service to the Lord. So 1 Peter 4 points to this. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, if you're talented musically, use it. I'm not. One of the first things I told um, Bethel, you know, I'll do just about anything. You probably don't want me up singing on the worship team. Um, you know, so, you know, but, you know, there's lots of other ways that, you know, we can be gifted. It's not just, you know, pigeonholed one thing. So musically use it. Gifted teacher, teach. If you're a gifted speaker, speak. Gifted handyman, use that around church and to help others. You know, those are all things that can be used for the glory of God. Um, we each have our different talents and those can be used. And just because we aren't talented or gifted in area doesn't mean that we shouldn't rush to support. Remember, we just saw this image of holding each other's arms up. Sometimes, you know, they may be gifted in an area, but they may need help. You know, we may need to, to rush to their aid, and we should be willing to stretch our boundaries sometimes to, to help our, our fellow brothers in Christ. You know, God will surely make up for that, whatever lack we see. And the, the interesting thing, one thing we don't see with Joab here, he's not wallowing in despair. So he's likely outnumbered, facing a battle on two fronts. Doesn't look like a, a great, you know, battle prime for success. But Joab is not wasting time hanging his head. He's not wringing his hands. He's not complaining. You know, we're required to do the same. In hardship, sometimes we've got to roll up our sleeves. We create the, a plan with wise counsel, biblical backing, and prayer, and, and we move forward. Just as a stagnant pool begins to, to smell, rot, you know, die, and you know, eventually it will dry up, we face high hardships and uh, do so with an unwillingness to act. Um, we'll, we'll suffer a decay of sorts. You know, God has a much better plan for his children than that. Individually, it's a plan for each of us, and seek to abide in it. You know, and in God's plan, you know, we have a duty. So my third point here is, above all else, we must trust our sovereign God. So let's, let's look at uh, verse 12 here, 2 Samuel 10, verse 12. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. 
So this is Job's Braveheart speech. If you've seen Braveheart, you know, uh, kind of cheers up his troops. And you know what a better motivational battle cry than what we see here, reminding Israelites who they're fighting for. So they're fighting for their family, their country, and for the Lord. You know, he reminds these men why this battle is so important. And he asks them to be courageous. So courage, perseverance, and strength in light of difficulty. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't arrogant about it. He wasn't ignorant, saying that, um, you know, they're just blindly going to fight and win. You know, that wasn't his, his statement here. Um, instead, he's, he's just humbly submitted to God. Uh, and he's letting God direct that out, outcome. You know, and may the Lord do whatever seems good to him. I'm not saying blindly, hey, guys, we're going to fight and win. You know, say, hey, God, we're gonna, or guys, we're going to lay this over to the Lord, and, and we're going to see where he leads us. You know, and I think Job's mindset, you know, of leaving that, that decision up to God, uh, that's a good marker of faith. You know, may the Lord do whatever seems good to him. Job had made a sound battle plan, um, you know, but he knew that that, that plan enough wasn't, a, uh, wasn't enough for victory. You know, and any time we make plans on our own, that's, that's not enough for victory. Uh, instead, he fought that battle in the best way he knew, and the rest was up to God. We have a sovereign God who's, who's in control of every outcome. And we must understand that even in the, the victories and defeats in our lives, God's in control. And we need to submit ourselves to God. You know, in, a, in a turbulent world like ours, you know, where else can we turn to find peace um, other than our sovereign God? There's almighty, unchanging, and in total control. You know, there's, a, there's a weight that's lifted when we we're able to turn our burdens over to God. You know, we, we selfishly love that idea that we're in control. Um, you know, we, we want to hold on to that control. We think that we've, we've got some power to really direct and steer our lives. But, you know, when we turn our, our lives completely over to Christ, you know, we really begin to see all his, his glorious attributes, and we get, to, we get a taste of that, so that sovereignty and just how good God is. First uh, Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So God's in control, and he's ruling, and, and sometimes we just got to trust his lead and trust his, his sovereignty. So fourth point, God will reign victorious against his enemies. So Let's continue on. Let's go ahead and finish out this, this passage, 2 Samuel 10, verses uh, 13 through, through 19. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezar sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobach, the commander of the army of Hadadezar, at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 children, uh, chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. When all of the kings, who were servants of Hadadezer, saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. The Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. So, 
You can sense the Syrians and Ammonites, they, just, they crumpled against um, the hand of the Israelites. You know, they weren't even a match. You know, verse 13, 14 here, we see both armies flee before Joab and Abishai. But you know, that wasn't their end. They came again, they uh, regrouped and, and found some more, more men, and, and then David jumps in. You know, verse 17, and when I was told David, he gathered all Israel together. You know, we see King David here, he, he takes a battle and he leads charge against his enemies. And again, the, the Syrian and Ammonites completely overmatched. They're two times right in a row, um, you know, defeated. Um, and, you know, large, large amount here, 40,000 horsemen, 700 chariots, you know, you know, huge victory. And, you know, we should rejoice time and time again. We see God and his people to get victory. You know, God conquers a, a force of thousands here and turns them aside like it's, like it's nothing. And we can rest in the fact that, that God will be for forever victorious like that. You know, he's all the strength that we need. He will fight the battle against sin that, that we can't win on our own. Um, and, and it'll be a, a complete victory in the end. And, you know, verse 19, you know, is telling. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Remember, they were, they were paid to, to fight. You know, here they are. They're charging in lar- large sums of money. You know, they're kind of just uh, these assassins coming. You know, you know they got paid. But they, they came to the point where they say, it's not worth the money. You know, they, they don't, they're fearing Israel now, and they, they don't want any conflict with them. Um, you know, that, that's telling of, of how, how bad this defeat was for them. And we can flip the perspective. Let's look at it from the, the perspective of the Ammonites. You know, here they are, they're, they're the provoker of a, a battle that is unwin, uh, unwinnable. You know, oh, we're described as um, as man of being war, at war with God, you know, as his enemy. You know, and this entire passage reflects, you know, kind of what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve deceived by a, a serpent Satan, um, you know, some bad counsel. Um, and we, too, see them compound their sin. You know, God comes to the, the garden, wants to kind of, um, you know, ask them about, you know, what they've done and, and what were they doing. They're hiding, um, knowing full well that they had breached their fellowship with the Lord. Um, and in this, they became enemies with God, and they had to face those consequences of sin in the world. You know, the perfectness of the garden was ruined, and they had to, to face that harsh reality. And, you know, each man, you know, as a sinner, we, we often shake our fist at God. You know, we have that attitude that we don't need him, and he challenges rule over us. You know, that's prideful and mistaken. You know, just, just as, like Nahash, we, we pick a battle that we cannot win. We, we dig in our sinful hearts against God, um, and, you know, in one way or another, God, God's going to break uh, sinners. And the Bible is just full of examples of a, a just God who, who has to hold sinners accountable. So whether it be in the judgment of hell or reconciling us through his, his son Jesus, who came to die for us for our sins, um, he will defeat sin. And that's what Paul points to in Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So begin as enemies, but, but now that's not the, the full picture. Aren't we glad that Paul didn't have to stop and just say we're enemies of, God, of Christ? You know, he could continue on and say, you know, you know, that's the greatness of what Jesus came to do. We could put our, our faith in him. You know, that would be such a sorry state if, if that's all we could be. But uh, make no mistake, um, you know, we, we can be reconciled with God through Jesus. We don't have to, to face that full wrath of God. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to reconcile us. Yeah, that should be something that we, we can take joy on. Again, God is victorious. Um, so let's step back and, and look at this passage as a whole. 
you know, Christ is, is clear in this passage. You know, I struggled with this passage a little bit. You know, you get told, you know, I was just following along in Pastor Kyle's you know, sermon series. And, um, you know, you, you go over one chapter over, it's David and Bathsheba. Pretty clear application points. It's like, man, I might get that one. This one not, not as, not as um, you know, a big of a Bible story. You know, if you ask somebody about, uh, you know, Second Samuel 10, they're not going to know. You know, most Bible, they don't have that memorized. Um, you know, they're going to know very well about Second Samuel chapter 11, though. But Christ is, is clear in this passage. You know, as you dig into the Bible, you know, time and time again, um, you can find Christ. So if we, we flip at this and, and look at it through the light of the New Testament in Jesus, first, just like David's ambassadors, Jesus was mocked and criticized while here on earth. Um, you know, he was constantly challenged by the Pharisees and and who saw him as a threat? You know, they saw him as a threat, and they, they mocked him even in his death. Matthew 27, 27 through 30. Then the soldiers of the, the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they, they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And near, kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. So here he is. You know, this is one of Jesus' most belittling moments here on earth, but, but he had a plan. You know, he consistently remembered what his father's will was for his life and followed his direction. You know, we, we see that in the garden. Luke 22, 41, 42, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Kind of reminds me a little bit here of, of kind of Joab's plan. Joab said, I'm going to leave it up to God. I've got a plan, but um, we're going to leave that up to God. Jesus said the same thing. He's going to leave his, his, up to his Father's will, um, and, and nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So they stripped Jesus, outwardly, outwardly humiliated him, um, but Jesus was following the, the ever-wise counselor, his Father, and was acting in obedience. And even in tough moments, he knew that his Father was the avenue that he would turn. So Jesus had that, that plan. Um, and, and God's plan is one of redeeming victory. So what came from, from Jesus' toughest moment? You know, Jesus died on that cross for our sins. He rose from the dead, and he, he defeated the sin that we, we can't defeat. You know, what a victory that is. You know, a, a total and complete victory. You know, we can trust his plan of salvation by believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You know, there is no battle that Jesus will not win. And for the, for the redeemed, we get to, to praise our risen Savior for eternity. You know, if you have questions about salvation, many here would love to talk to you about, about salvation, about Jesus. So, so please, if you have questions, please ask. Um, but you know, we should be going forth. We should be seeking godly counsel. We should be making a, a battle plan to further God's kingdom, trusting our sovereign God, and then we can be praising God for the victory of Christ that abounds in our lives. So I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer and um, go through communion. Dear Father, thank you for um, today and just thank you for um, time and time again um, showing us that you, you will get the victory and that you will um, defeat sin. I just thank you for um, your son Jesus dying uh, um, on the cross and, and um, dying that substitutionary death, defeating sin in a way that we, we just can't do on our own. Uh, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you that we could come to church this morning, that we could uh, we could uh, just come and, and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 